Hey Chris, this is Tim Cleary. Just wanted to wish you the best on your upcoming runs at the Marine Corps. And then following that, a mere week later, New York. I know uh, you'll really uh, do great at both and you'll enjoy both. Um, I think ASICS uh, was right on the mark picking you to give all the swag to and represent them because you do such a great job of... Uh, representing and supporting the running community with all that you do. So I think uh, I look forward to seeing the pics of uh, you and all the ASICs gear uh, and doing the race. Uh, I had the misfortune and then the fortune of uh, doing New York last year because I was one of the ones that was up there the year before in 2012 to run the race when they canceled it. Um, so I know what it's like to run New York. It's uh, uh, just a fantastic race. Uh, they do such a wonderful job at the start of keeping everybody in the corrals, and you can get right into your pace right off the bat. Never had any problem. Uh, the only thing, the only thing I didn't like about the race last year was once you got across the finish line to get out of the park, it seemed like we walked a mile, and it was just a little a slow shuffle among the all the runners to get out of the park, but it it is such an experience and a great place to run. The crowd support is fantastic. So anyway, I just wanted to say good luck on both, and I you know hope you enjoy them. And then give us the the detailed reports on how they went for you. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Interludes 1.0 Introduction Hello my endurance friends and welcome to a crack-stuffing version of the Run Run Live podcast that I'm going to call Interludes and I don't want you to think that I fell into the abyss as I work hard to figure out the format for the next version of Run Run Live which would be Run Run Live 4.0 so I'll keep passing along some some content as I go to keep you interested, keep you entertained. You can always go back and sample one of the previous 300 episodes that are filled with so much fluff and stuff about long-distance running and endurance sport and other topics. I was going to call it interregnum, but that seemed a bit imperious. But it does lead us to an interesting discussion of the value of a good command of Latin and Greek roots when trying to discern the language. As you may have guessed, the prefix inter, technically a morpheme, means between or among. And in this case, inter means between. Inter should not be confused with intra, which means within. So inter-company means between companies, which is cool, but intra-company would mean within company. See how that works? Like intra-mural, right? You can figure out the meaning of most words by looking at the morphemes, the little chunks. Interregnum means between kingship, because the Latin root reg, or rege, or let me see, it's Latin, so it would be reg, that means king, as in, and it's actually rex, as in regicide, regents, tyrannosaurus rex, etc. 
Now, as far as interlude, I thought that second little bit there, the lewd bit, was a form of the Latin root for light, luce, luce, or luce, luce, light, as in lucid, elucidate, luminescence, las luces, los luces, I don't know which, are lights feminine or, or masculine in uh, Spanish and Portuguese and Italian. But anyhow, it all comes from the same place. But I was wrong. That doesn't mean light. It turns out it's Middle English for play, like a Shakespearean play, and which is perfect, because what we have here is a pause between plays. And I'd like to thank my ninth grade prep school English teacher, Mr. Mitchell, for making me memorize all the Latin and Greek roots. Very handy for remembering and dismembering the meaning for many of the Latin languages. Oh, that's right. We were supposed to talk about rutting, or at least zombies. Did you like my little zombie story in episode 300? Can you imagine poor Andrew Castor, who I know now, by the way, listening to that episode and having to suffer through all that self-indulgent schlock? Heavens to Betsy. So uh, speaking of these guys, Andrew Castor and crew, I got to run with them. But I'll save that for the next episode. I'm safely ensconced in the New York Palace Hotel, five stars on Madison Avenue, across from Rockefeller Center and all that great stuff. And they flew me in and got me a limo into town, and I'm having drinks with them. And I do feel a bit like Cinderella, but uh, but I'll probably still never do a Disney race. And I've, I've made some successful forays into the wild metropolis there's a there's a good greek word for you a couple of greek roots there metropolis and managed to forage a bag of fruit and a kale salad with some avocados so cities aren't so bad today we will see what i can get done (laughs) i've got too many plates spinning at the moment but today we'll squeeze in an interview see there's that that inter morpheme again interview with jim from the Seeker podcast, who is a certified nurse. So I asked Jim to talk to me and talk me through some of the things people should be looking for when they get a physical. Um, I'm also going to give you a brief Marine Corps marathon report, kind of a rush job, but you'll get the gist and maybe even something else. All right. I've got more ideas right now than I have time to birth them getting busy again. Last time we chatted, two weeks ago, I was getting ready to volunteer at Bay State, the Bay State Marathon in Lowell, Mass, and the Groton Town Forest Trail Race. And I did volunteer at Bay State. We work a water stop each year. It's fun. We're at the 7 and 17 mile marks of the marathon, and I try to talk to people and coach them and encourage them. And I know most of the local running clubs, and I know a lot of people in the race, so it's it's a lot of fun. I can call out them call out to them and uh, and when i see their their singlets and some it was a bit of a windy day as it sometimes is at bay state and that knocked a lot of folks down who were looking for good times but it was uh, wasn't bad weather seriously though there's a tip for you that's why you need to do a bunch of your training runs if not all of them outside in real conditions uh, you know learn how to run in the wind and the rain you know there's techniques for all that but it's not textbooks learning it's out on the course learning and and those can save your race i had a a 10 mile pace run on the calendar as my last taper run for marine corps that day and i ran out of time i didn't 
managed to get up in time. So instead, I I decided I'd run the trail race um, that I was going to volunteer for, which is a 9.5-mile trail race. It's a very technical trail race. If you've never run the Groton Town Forest Trail Race, you're missing out. It's this gnarly single path with plenty of vertical, so it runs much longer than nine and a half miles. And we had great trail conditions and a beautiful day. The wind didn't bother us in the trails because we were in the woods in the forest. And I started out very smart. I started out way in the back of the pack with the baggage train and used the first 20 minutes, you know, just checked my watch. First 20 minutes, I just, just jogged along and chatted people up and warmed up. And then I accelerated through the pack for the next seven or mile or so. And I've run this course plenty of times, so I know how hard it is. You'd better be in top trail shape if you decide to attack tack it all the way through. In the last couple of miles, I caught all the people who underestimated the course and overestimated their own abilities. Yeah, I felt great. I had a good race, and I had forgotten just how much fun trail racing and trail running is. And then, of course, I was down at the Marine Corps Marathon last weekend. Got that done without breaking anything. Well, anything important. And now I've got the New York City Marathon this weekend, which apparently has been outsourced to India this year. So, spinning plates, on with the show. Good morning. So I'm here in New York City in my hotel room, and I wanted to uh, to thank A6 and the New York City Roadrunners, and to thank you for inviting me to run the New York City Marathon. I'm elated and, and a little bit humbled to be your guest for, for this great event. This marathon is a, is a crown jewel, a shining star in the firmament of our sport. And it, it's cool for me to get to meet and talk to the other bloggers and, of course, the elites like Ryan Hall and Andy Potts coming off of Kona and Dina, Dina Castor and... And when I say talk, I mean, we actually talk, and we talk like old friends, right? Because we talk about the, the races and, and the things we love and the things we do for this this most human of sports, uh, running, long-distance running. And I know I come to you from a faraway and strange land where cold-weather tribes give the land mysterious names like Harvard, Worcester, Boston, and we have our runners up there. We have our marathon. And I admit, we're a proud lot. And in that, I, I don't think we're different. I look out and I meet these folks and I see, I don't see others. I see members of my tribe and I see other members of my community, my long distance running community. And I see friends and I see family members of my long-distance running family, because we're, we're all members of the same family. We have a community and a friendship and a family that cuts across geographic lines, and we're part of the universal running community, from the elites at the front of the pack to the journeymen and women bringing up the back of the pack, we share a kinship, a kinship built on miles, on kilometers, over roads, over trails, with our feet, with our grit, 
with our hearts and our souls, we are strong. We're Boston strong. We're New York strong. And we run for life. And when we gather together in our, in our masses on Staten Island on Sunday morning, you know, we become like gods, like Greek gods. And we're warriors. And nothing and no one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from you. And at that time, when the sun rises over this big city, we're indestructible. So I got my physical a few weeks back and everything checked out, but they handed me a bunch of blood work results, which are mystifying to me. So I figured I'd share those and chat through them with Jim and see if we could save some lives. My resting pulse or heart rate is somewhere in the 36 to 42 beats per minute range, which is not normal, but it's perfectly normal for me. It's partly genetic and partly endurance sports. My blood pressure is 117 over 80, which is normal, and my prostate is okie-dokie on on both the ever-pleasing digital exam and the PSA blood test. By the way, men, get yourself tested. As many men die from prostate cancer as women die from breast cancer, and it is 100% curable if they catch it early. And ladies, make your men get tested. So the overall blood test that they do at my checkup, it checks all sorts of stuff. Sugar, salt, liver function, and even if I was pregnant, they checked that. All of which I'm in the normal bounds, and I'm not pregnant, turns out. My liver function was the only thing that was a little bit on the borderline. It wasn't over out of range, but it was on the high end of the range. And this is also one of those long-distance running things, I think, because I always get this. Um, even when I wasn't drinking, <laughs> yeah, the it's I always go into these physicals after either a long race or a hard workout or a long run, and when you do that, it can throw off your blood work, especially your liver function, because your liver is trying to clear all that crap from the workout out of your blood. So if you if you want a copy of my blood results uh, with all the explanations, I can send them to you if you want. I don't have a problem with that. So lean back and relax now because uh, Jim and I are going to discuss saving your life. So Jim. Hello. How are you today? I'm very well. And yourself? So we're, we're going we're gonna to try to get our arms around some health topics today. And our goal here is to, to potentially help some folks. And maybe we might, we might even save a life today, Jim. That'd be fantastic. So Jim, you and I got talking to each other i have no idea how we but i was you you started quoting me in your podcast the seeker podcast i think i did indeed and and i was listening to that i remember listening to you talking about your two-word mantra i was out on a run in the rain the freezing rain with buddy a couple weeks ago listen to that um so i did listen to it but uh we're going to talk and and i had a recent checkup where i went in and got all my you know, all my orifices probed and mm-hmm. got my heart rate taken and my blood work done. And But you are in the medical profession. We got into a conversation about that, and you had some interesting interesting ideas around that. So I wanted to talk through that with you and see if 
if we couldn't shed some light on some of these things that seem to have a lot of different stories going on in them. Sure, that'd be great. So, Jim, why don't you give us the uh, the 200 words or less on, on who you are and what you do? Well, uh, I am a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for 20 years now. Hard to believe it's that long. For the majority of my time, I actually work in the part of nursing dealing with substance abuse and psychiatry. So I actually work down in Baltimore in a rather large hospital that I'm sure everybody has heard of, but uh, I'm not sure if I have permission to say their name, so I won't right now. One thing we want to mention right up the front here is that Jim and I are just talking about ideas and concepts here. If you think you have any physical or, or mental problems or anything like that, go see a doctor. Don't don't do anything yourself. Absolutely. Best information yeah. for you is going to come from your personal physician. Right. So you have a concept, you have a framework that you use to simplify the balance of health. Can you tell us about that framework? Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, when I'm talking to patients and I'm trying to talk about just the idea of just basic uh, wellness, I, I have something which I talk about. It's called a health pyramid. So you're probably asking, what's that mean? Well, if you were to take a triangle with three equal sides, at the top of the triangle, what I, I put out is something called genetics. And what that means is things like your age, your DNA, your family history. Simply put, these are the rules for you. These are This is the way your body works. And as we know, DNA from one person to another is slightly different. So, you know, what may be... You know, my limit of physical exercise may not ever be your physical limit of exercise. So those are going to be some variations there. But these are your rules for you. At the next corner down, I have exercise. This is what you're doing with your body. How physically active are you being? Are you sitting at a desk and doing an office job? Are you outside and you're a physical laborer? Do you do any other exercise? Do you run? Do you jog? Do you swim? Do you bike? What else are you doing with your with your body? And then the final corner is hydration and nutrition. Of course, this is what you're putting into your body. So what kinds of things you're putting into your body to make your body work. If you look at this, every one of these three points affects the other two. So if we take, for example, we'll just start with exercise since we're, this is a, a podcast about running. Is it true to say that your physical makeup has something to do with how much exercise you do or how safely you can do it? Absolutely. And is it true to also say the kind of hydration and nutrition you're putting into your body is going to have a lot to do with how much exercise you can do? Absolutely. Uh, if you swing that over to the hydration nutrition side, your genetics and how much exercise affects those two points. Again, go to the top, go to the genetics where, the, again, the rules for you, what you put into your body and how active you are, are also going to be, are also going to affect your norm, um, and how you, uh, your body, um, reacts. So Right. So, so you, so you have this sort of, uh, tri-cornered balance. Correct. Um, and that's not to say there's not an infinite number of other influences that, that can impact your health, but these are the three main ones are basically what you're born with, what you bring into the game, mm-hmm. what you're putting into your body, and you know your physical activity, what kind of exercise you get. Right. And you can, we were talking about this before, you can come into the game with beautiful, perfect genes, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and still end up as a, a, a sick person by eating horribly and not exercising. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And likewise, you can't exercise your way out of, you know, a genetic predisposition for something. All right. You can hold it off, maybe, but you you can't exercise your way out of it or eat eat your way out of it. Correct. But there's been recent research and recent uh, theory around the fact that some genes genes aren't permanent. They actually switch on and off. Mm-hmm. And by what you do, the exercise, and what you eat, you know, the nutrition, you can actually switch genes on and off. And some of these genes, like cancer genes, you can switch on and off. Or at least delay the impact of those. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that right? That sounds right. Part of what I think the medical establishment does himself a disservice here, Jim, by 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 sort of obfuscating all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I went and got this physical and I got this big list of thirty different things that they measured in my blood and I have no idea whether it's good or bad. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, which is which is why which is why education is is just so darn important and all of this stuff because you know what good is data if you don't know what it means it's it's useless at that point so um you know again not to say that any other discipline in medicine doesn't do this because every medicine medicine discipline does this but certainly from a nursing standpoint it's one of the biggest things that we do is education for patients. Um, to kind of understand, okay, so you have this number. What, what does this number mean? You know, because if they don't tell you, it's just a number. It's, it's useless. That's kind of a big, big to do, which is why I came up with this kind of a pictorial kind of an idea. Because it's, again, it's simple. I think, um, quite often, you know, if you use too much of the medical jargon, people tend to kind of switch you off because I don't understand what you're talking about. So rather than look like I'm silly or stupid and I don't understand, I'm just going to be quiet and not my head, and I'm going to go home and still not understand. So you actually haven't affected any kind of a positive change at that point. So, you know, it's kind of so. So, so what can we arm people with who are, you know, they're going in to see their their doctor to get a physical or or whatever they're doing. They're having those interactions. What can we arm people with to give them a better set of tools to to work with and trying to determine where their health is and thereby where it should be going. Well, I mean, certainly I think, and this is just me speaking, I I think there's a lot of value, especially if you're over age 35 uh, or if there's a family history for something in particular, that you go and you see your physician every single year and you just get a checkup. I mean, you do this for so many other things in life. You, You do it for your car. You do it for, you know, anything that has an engine. You get it tuned up why wouldn't you do this for your body? I mean, it's the most important thing you've got going. And there's actually another reason besides just simply getting all this data. You know, hopefully over time, you're going to have the same medical professionals working with you. And at some point, you're going to get information that is going to be scary. It is going to make you kind of wonder what's going on. And do you really want to get you know, go over these questions with somebody that you've never met before, or do you want to do this with some somebody that you have an actual relationship with? I mean, obviously, this is going to be better to do with somebody that you trust, that you have a relationship with. They know you, you know them. So that's that's number one. But uh, yeah, I think I, w- I would add to that another thing that I've started doing because I'm I'm basically you know I'm as old as dirt. 
I, I people don't do this, but I don't know why. You know, go to the dentist every six months too, because oh, yeah, a lot of problems uh, that have nothing to do with teeth start in your teeth. Absolutely, uh, and uh, and your eyes as well. Go mm-hmm. see your um, you know optometrist and get a essentially an exam, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, because stuff there that they can that again can be indicators of something going on somewhere else, or can just you know save your eyesight. Correct, correct. Because one of one of the things, of course, if you if you wait to do reactive medicine, meaning wait until there's something actually wrong, and then you go and try and deal with it, that's always going to be more expensive than preventive medicine. Which again is the reason for you know, like you said, go and go to your dentist every six months. You know, go and see your eye doctor. Go and see your own, just your regular doctor, you know, every year and, you know, getting these tests done. Because we had talked about this previously, but again, all these things are, is just, it's a snapshot. It's like a Polaroid for those people that remember Polaroids. You know, it's just a snapshot in time. Now, it gives good data as to maybe where you've been from a health standpoint and maybe where you're going. But, um, you know, just to give you an example, uh, you go to your doctor and they do a blood test and they find out that your glucose is, is 110, which would put you a little, a little high. Well, could it be that you have, um, the beginnings of diabetes? Maybe. It could also be the fact that you just ate a gigantic box of chocolates before you walked in. So, again, you need to know all the three different pieces that's going on in your, in your health, which is why I go back and I say, you know, what are your genetics? What's your exercise? What are you putting into your body? Because depending upon how those all shake out, the value in the middle is going to mean a totally different thing. Yeah, and I would think that if you're if you go and get the the work done periodically, you're going to get trend analysis as well. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so you can see outliers. If it's 80, 80, 80, then 130, okay, something's changed, mm-hmm. and the doctor can 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 see that spike in the in the curve. Absolutely. And again, you know, we're talking about you know statistical norms, and again, the statistical norms are also based on your age. So, you know, what may be a perfectly acceptable blood pressure for you, say in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, when you get to your 70s and 80s would likely be a higher blood pressure in the medical community. We wouldn't necessarily worry so much about, say, 130 over 80, whereas if you're, you know, in your in your teens and you're coming in with 130 over 80, we're going to go, well, 130 is a little on the high side. What's that all about? Um, yeah. So, again, has to do with that part, your genetics. What's what's What are your rules for you? The standard physical if you go in and get a physical they're going to do all these tests and some of them are, are are like you said they're preventative right so they're going to find out things like if you have Lyme disease or if you have you know the beginnings of diabetes or you know any of those those simple things right absolutely absolutely yeah. which you would never know until symptoms presented mm-hmm. right absolutely absolutely yeah yeah, and uh, and and it's probably more important as you get older, too, because the incidence of uh, certain age-related diseases start the cancers and and that sort of thing. Correct, correct, and uh, and again, it also gives it also gives your medical professional more time to have that have that conversation with you about you know where are you going with your life. I mean, think about another analogy. If you have a financial investor. You're not just going to go and say, here's my money, 
and I'll see you in 50 years or 30 years or however long you're investing for. You're going to go back and keep checking in with that person and saying, okay, you know, here's what the, you know, the layout of the economy looks right now. Where do you think I really should be to, you know, position myself properly? Well, I mean, if you're going to do that with your money, why wouldn't you do that with your health? I mean, again, it's the biggest investment you have going, so. Yeah, that's interesting. And you and I have heard these stories in our community and somebody who's listening to this right now is this is their story mm-hmm. where they were maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight, mm-hmm. eating your typical American diet. Mm-hmm. And they went in to get a physical and their doctor looked him in the eye and said, you know what, dude, you, you're going to have to go on blood pressure medicine. Yep. And, uh, you know, you're you're in bad shape. Yep. And then they became runners. Yep. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they, they fixed the exercise and the nutrition to pull it back into center. Yeah, that's exactly how I started doing marathoning. I actually had everything to do with the age of 40. I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a marathon before I turn 40, and then I ended up doing two, and then now I'm like 22, 23 or something like that. You know, it just you start, a, you start a good habit and you keep it. So I've always been a runner, so I never had that. I always kind of feel bad that I never had that big story of uh, I started from the bottom and worked my way up. I've always mm-hmm. been in the middle. <laughs> well, that's all right. So there's something to be said for uh, for consistency. But I have always had um, your typical American diet, and that's always worried me a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, especially as I get older. Well, sure. I want to keep checking on that. So as long as you keep your weight and your exercise in check, you can get away with some stuff. You know, we we talked about the the impact of age, and I not too recently passed 50 years old, and you know, I, I noticed that the medical professionals, it's its almost like I went off of warranty. They're much more concerned about a bunch of other stuff now. So age is definitely a, a, a part of the, the spectrum here when we talk about getting checkups and medical care and what to look for and that sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, again, you know, certainly we talk about like the age of 50, um, you know, as we had discussed previously, I mean, that's, that's the time when they want you to come in and get your cancer screening. You get that colonoscopy just to make sure that, you know, you don't have any problems. Oh, yeah. If you do, we can deal with them now. Cause again, going back to a, something I mentioned earlier, you know, again, preventive medicine is always going to be cheaper than reactive medicine. So, right. And when we say cheaper, we mean not just dollars. You mean cheaper in terms of in the, every sense the of the word, physical pain, right. the right. medical pain. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, you know, if you can deal with something when it's smaller, again, it's going to be easier to deal with when it's smaller than if you wait till it's huge and now you need a gigantic surgery or something along those lines. I mean, again, it just, but I, again, this is just general wellness and I, I talk to patients and stuff. Again, you just try to use just normal logic. I mean, obviously, something smaller is easier to deal with than something that you let become a larger problem. This is the same with many different things, you know, even interpersonal issues. If you have an interpersonal issue with somebody and it's a small issue between the two of you, it's better to go and find that person and talk it out and resolve it than wait and let it fester. And it turns into this gigantic brouhaha between you and somebody else that maybe was, oh, you cut in line and me at the movie theater one day. And that was all it was. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. It, yeah, it's a good general rule of thumb is that bad news doesn't get better with age. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So if we look at you know, one thing I, w- I would like to add is that a lot of times you can go and get a physical and they won't run all these all the blood tests, right? So when you schedule the physical, you have to actually tell them that you want the whole workup, 
right? Correct. And, you know, you know, certain things, um, we'll, we'll go back to like glucose, for example. If, for example, you come up with, say, a high glucose and you weren't doing a Forrest Gump thing and ate an entire box of chocolates, one of the things that they would then do from there, if you have a, a, a good physician, which I would expect you to, um, would be to run a different test, something that would be like uh, an A1C, which would test, test to see what has your glucose been running over a certain period of time, generally two to three months. And if that comes back high, then that's a much more um, indicative um, red flag right. that you actually have diabetes and it's been running high for a long time. So um, right. your basic tests are a good place to start. But again, you kind of need to know where you're going after that. And again, this is why, again, say, you know, have a, have a, a GP that you're talking to frequently that knows your health history. Um, my personal health history, um, late onset diabetes, um, is a, something that pops up a couple of times. Uh, appendicitis pops up a lot in, in my family. So those are things that just, okay, I know that I'm looking for them. So that if something were to happen in the future, thankfully it hasn't so far. I can kind of be aware to kind of be a good consumer, if you think of it that way, and say, hey, by the way, I know I got this in my background. Maybe we should be checking for this. Yeah, and I think I think a good message, that's a good message to know your family history, because mm-hmm. they're going to ask you that anyhow. Absolutely. The other, and, and to know your physician, but, you know, we probably have people out there listening to this, Jim, who are not going to see the doctor because they're afraid of the answer they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And they're just sort of uh, living in denial. And, you know, what I would say to those... That's right. What I would say to those folks is there's nothing you can do about yesterday, but you can always work on tomorrow and today. So it's a starting point, you know. And at least you'll know where you are. And and then you can make a decision what to do from there. Absolutely. I mean, you can't fix what you don't know. I mean, you know, it's... It's like cycle trying to walk through a room with the lights off. I mean, you, you can't be expected to get from one end of the room to the other without banging into every furniture in there if the lights are off. You need to be able to at least have some sort of illumination in here to say, okay, I, I can see there's a shape here. That's probably a desk, and there's probably a table over here, so it's going to go in this direction. And this is not, you know, getting a checkup doesn't mean you're going to live forever or that you're indestructible Absolutely. or that they, you know, there's other stuff in there they could find. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it will check off the high probability stuff. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and again, it's, a, it's, a, it's good to know where you are on these things, because, again, we talked about, you know, the traditional American diet. If you're doing that, um, it's probably high in sodium because our diet tends to be high in sodium because we have a lot of processed foods and they're just loaded with the stuff. Um, Love my sodium. Absolutely, you know. Um, but again, I mean, sodium is an electrolyte. It has a lot to do with, you know, how your body functions. If you're getting too much of it, it means lots of different things. So, you know, maybe good to know that. Know that, you know, maybe you're high in sodium, and maybe it's a simple fix. Is okay. I'm going to eat a lot more stuff that just, you know, appears in nature rather than came out of a box. Maybe that's all you need to do. But, you know, until you get that test, you don't know what that thing you need to fix is. So, Interesting one for me, which um, always kind of scores high, is liver function. Yeah. Because for some reason, I'm always, well, obviously, I work out every day. So, mm-hmm. But for some reason, I'm always getting these blood tests right after a hard workout. Mm-hmm. And that makes your liver look bad. It does, because, again, your liver is used to... Uh, 
remove impurities out of your bloodstream and of course you're you're banging on your body pretty hard when you work out real hard so all of that stuff is being metabolized to your liver so uh you're going to see that also if you go out and you you know you party real hard one day and you go and get a liver test um you're going to find that uh your liver enzymes are going to be slightly high as well, too. So, Right, because they're cleaning out that alcohol or Absolutely. whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah, but I always found that to be interesting. I was always, and, and I was always kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe upset or feeling cheated for that. Like, you're telling me I'm unhealthy. I got dinged on my life insurance exam one time for that yeah. because I, I just run a 20-mile race the day before. Mm-hmm. And so my liver enzymes came out high, and, and so my life insurance rates were higher. I'm like, that's not fair. Yeah, yeah, uh, I hear that. Which, but again, things like blood pressure and liver enzymes and so forth, it's another good reason why you need to have somebody that knows you. Because, you know, just walking in the door and you see, you know, a liver enzyme test that's a little high, you may go, oh, wow, what's going on here? But if you know that, you know, going back to this little triangle, oh, what just got monkey to it? Well, exercise. You were exercising an awful lot the day before this. Well, it has to, a lot to do with what your liver enzyme test turns. And like uh, the classic one for us is heart rate, right? Absolutely, that's an easy. I'll go in to give blood or something. They'll strap the the uh, you know the the uh, the cuff on me, yep. and I'll just see their eyes their eyes go wide, you know, mm-hmm. like like I'm deathly ill because I'll come in with a heart rate of under forty a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's perfectly normal for me. It's partly genetic, but it's normal for me. Right. Right. So what my doctor would say in that, the, the guy I go to when he does the check where you go, you got a heart rate of 40 something. That's perfectly normal for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. I have the same thing. I'll go in and, um, again, my doc knows me real well too, cause I'm good about, you know, doing my checkups and so forth. And, uh, you know, I'll go in and, you know, usually the nurse will take my blood pressure and then we'll, Blood pressure and pulse, and you know my pulse will be hanging around the uh, the low fifties. And she go, "You run, don't you?" And I'll go, "Yeah." She go, "Okay." Um, but again, if I walked in and I was three hundred pounds, and my heart rate was fifty two, they would have a whole different uh, <laughs> approaching that than you know this hundred and sixty eight pound guy who you know runs all the time. So, yeah, you know. yeah. So it's interesting. What about supplements? What do you recommend for uh, supplements? We were talking about this earlier. Well, um, you know, my first thing to tell people is make sure you're having a, a, a good diet. Um, and I, there's all kinds of diets that are out there. Um, this is my personal preference. I tend to um, try to use many things that just appear in nature. So yeah, well, whole foods, whole oh, foods. Me too. Correct. So you know, if if it, you pull it off a tree, if it grows in the ground. Try to eat as much of that stuff as possible because you're going to have a hard time um, eating too much of it. Uh, yeah. It's going to absolutely something bad to you. Um, whereas, you know, with like vitamins and supplements, it's a lot easier to take too many pills rather than to eat too yep. many radishes. Uh, yep. I'm eating a nice red grapefruit as I'm talking to you. There you go. Sounds fantastic. But um, in particular for uh, certainly for runners um, would be the idea of just understanding the concept of water-soluble vitamins, uh, those being your B-complex vitamins and your vitamin C. You know, vitamin C has uh, a number of different things. Of course, most people, I think, understand that you take a lot of vitamin C and it helps you from getting a cold. Uh, but actually, for runners, vitamin C is actually very helpful in um, repairing muscle tissue. 
So it's a good one to have because you know that's what you do when you run. You uh, you break it, break down your muscle tissue in order to make your muscle tissue bigger, stronger, faster, all that Steve Austin stuff. Yeah, and you can get enough vitamin C typically from two or three pieces of fruit a day. Correct. Um, I would not recommend commercially commercially produced fruit juices because mm-hmm. those tend to have sugar in them. Yep. Um, but the uh, just a, eat a grapefruit, you're gonna get all the vitamin C yeah, you need. Same way, eat, you know. In addition to you know the grapefruits and your oranges and so forth, I mean you're gonna get you're gonna get some of the fiber that you're not gonna get out of the pill. So, you know, it's also yep. helpful. Um, and um, the other thing I would add is that all of your favorite sports drinks are overloaded with vitamin C. Yeah. So I'm not going to name any brand names, but all of them. Yep, that's right. All of them are overloaded with vitamin C. Yeah. Like yeah, too much. Yeah. Make your make your teeth fall out vitamin C. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, which, again, why I always say you can try to get it from food because it's going to be hard to make, make yourself sick if you're getting it from food because more than likely you're just not going to be able to eat enough of the stuff to right. get sick. But again, with the water-soluble ones, um, your water-soluble vitamins, these are ones, of course, that your body is going to flush out and they're going to be in the, your local septic system by tomorrow morning. Rather than Yeah, they don't, get, they don't get stored in your fat tissue is the point. Correct, correct. So, you know, your fat-soluble ones are things like A, D, E, and vitamin K. Those actually, you don't necessarily need to be taking in a ton of that every single day. You actually need smaller amounts of all those fat-soluble ones because, again, they're stored in your body. But the water-soluble ones, you got to replace those every single day. And, again, if you're eating properly, you really shouldn't need to supplement. But, again, I'm going to defer, you know, whether you really do or not to uh, your primary doctor because they know you better than I do. Um, but the other one that I didn't mention was the, the B vitamins. And uh, certainly in my line of work, we do supplement people when they come in uh, with uh, with B vitamins, but that tends to be because folks dealing with uh, substance abuse, specifically alcoholism, tend to focus more on drinking alcohol than they do on eating, and so they're very low in vitamins. So we're trying to get them back to normal quickly, and then at that point, obviously, doing a lot of... Eating. So what, what food has uh, vitamin B in it? Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, you got like uh, legumes, peas. Um, what else? Um, Probably kale. Liver, kale has everything. Pork has it in there. Uh, whole grains. A lot of stuff you eat is fortified with the stuff. Um, certainly, all your, you know, all these energy drinks that you see, they're just loaded with with, uh, with vitamin B. Uh, all different yeah. forms of vitamin B. Uh, um, because one of the big things that vitamin B does is it helps your body create energy from the food that you eat. It's kind of uh, you know, a no-brainer as to why all the energy drinks would actually put this stuff in there. Yes, well, something interesting I learned this summer when I was working with nutritionists is the uh, if you look at vitamins right that mm-hmm. you buy in the store or whatever, mm-hmm. there's actually different kinds. There's Vitamins that come from natural sources, and there's vitamins that come from, like, grinding up rocks and seashells. Correct. And the cheap ones are actually from grinding up rocks and seashells, and they're Mm -hmm. totally undigestible. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, they have those minerals and chemicals in them, but you can't really digest them. Right. What you're talking about is something called bioavailability. So it's basically how much of the particular... Uh, nutrient you're going to actually get into your bloodstream. So yeah, there's there is that piece of the puzzle as well too. It's also confusing. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line, 
I think, folks, is we, we'll, we'll move to the exit here, Jim, so we don't overload people. But I think the bottom line is to eat whole foods. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and to uh, exercise, get enough sleep, too, because uh, lack of sleep, which is one of my big problems, produces stress hormones, mm-hmm. which are which uh, are bad for you at the physiological level. Absolutely. And uh, and that's that's it. Even pretty pretty much the rest of it is uh, go see your doctor every once in a while to make sure you're still in line. Sounds good. All right, man. All right. Thanks for the chat. That was fun. Not a problem. It was a pleasure here as well, too. All right. I'm going to hang up. All right. Two thousand fourteen Marine Corps Marathon. So I'm walking the seventeen mile water stop trying to get enough fluid to keep my tongue from sticking to the roof of my mouth, and coach passes me like a runaway train. I take off after him, but I'm struggling to close. He's running sub eights. I'm doing seven twenty ish to catch him. He's it's like he's possessed, and I'm not ready for this. We were supposed to have a leisurely stroll through the nation's capital, pacing some team members. Now they're all gone, and I'm chasing down this crazy old guy with stage 4 prostate cancer. This was the first time in a long time that my wife has traveled to a race with me. Sometimes people wonder if I'm married because they never see us together. And I had a lady once at the dry cleaners in my town. She asked me on one Saturday if I was a widower. (laughs) But, alas, I indeed have been married for for longer than most of you have been alive, and we met when we were 16, when she invited me to her senior prom, and we were married at 22. So, that's, that, my friends, that's an endurance event. It was a quick trip to D.C., in and out. I was running to collect for Coach, who's trying to raise awareness for prostate cancer, and in general, go down fighting. We flew down Saturday, got a rental, made our way to the expo at the Armory, and this is where I decided we should rename this marathon to the Wait in Long Lines Marathon. I mean, it's a wonderful event, but you'd better not be in a hurry. It took me the better part of two hours to get my bib and a shirt in a bag. Then we headed up to Ann's house to have dinner with the team, and my wife got to meet all these crazy runner people that I hang out with coach jeff was planning on pacing some of the ladies and some other team members to a 4:30 finish time so i figured i'd join them and provide some entertainment because if you've ever run a slow marathon with me you know i'm very entertaining and this was great because it meant no pressure on me to do anything more than just show up i ate Lots of food, drank beer, and didn't bother to carry any hydration or nutrition. I figured at that effort level, I could just forage as I went during the race. Getting into the Pentagon in the morning from my hotel in Georgetown was easy, on the one hand, because all I had to do was step outside and follow the crowd. But on the other hand, it began another hour and a half of standing in various lines at the station, at security, and finally at the porta potties. And since I had eaten with abandon the night before, a great sense of urgency befell me while standing in all these lines, and I was perilously close to what the Marines might call a code brown. 
when I finally attained the closet of release, but such is the marathoner's life. I met Coach and some of the other team over by the bag drop, and we slotted ourselves way back in the corrals. One interesting thing that happened to me was having a guy hear my voice and ask me if I was Chris from Run Run Live, and I can't help but wonder at the abject disappointment of those whose imagined version of me is shattered by that physical encounter. Poor, misguided souls. I'm one of those things that's better left to the imagination. Trust me. No stress. Hanging in the back of the corrals with the team. Having fun. Watching the Marines, including that Medal of Honor winner. The dude that threw himself on a grenade. Parachute into the starting line, trailing giant American flags. And the planes fly over. The Osprey, Marine Ospreys, they fly over. And then Marine One, the President's helicopter, made a pass. And I was thinking about our old friend Digger from the Run Digger Run podcast, who has pod faded on us. And I wondered where the old colonel was on this fine morning. It's a funny thing about me and long races, as I realized there's always some song running through my head. And this time it was Armageddon time by The Clash. And I kept singing this snippet that goes sort of like, a lot of people running in the streets tonight. Armageddon time. It's strange, I know. We were so far back that we didn't even know the race started until several, several minutes after. And we walked all the way to the starting line. And the first two miles were packed in so tight. And we were barely managing like 11, 12 minute miles. And people were jam packed into the course. And it was it was like being inside a phone booth with 10 people. It was really hard to run. There were just like roadblocks, just walls of body. And I made a, I made a joke to coach that I hadn't been elbowed this much since fifth grade. We had a pod of six or so runners clustered around the miles to end prostate cancer shirts and hats. And I was having a ball with coach. We were goofing on people and offering up prostate exams and just being funny in general. And I pulled off in the first couple of miles to bless a bush, but I had no trouble catching back up. I just dropped the pace to get ahead a couple minutes, pulled off, watered the grass, listened to Coach yelling, Hey, Russell, what are you doing? As the pod passed and jumped back in and caught back up. No problem. We lost the first runner early when she peeled off to hit a Porter John. The rest stayed with us through 10K or so, but like the slow sanding down of the of an edge, we lost one after the other through a combination of us being too erratic with our pacing and the density of the crowd. At one point, Coach was giving tutorials on how to shoot snot rockets, and I was singing, Snot rockets in flight, afternoon delight. So there you go, little Captain and Tennille for you today too. Bet you didn't see that coming. The weather was awesome. It was sunny, mid-50s, nice breeze. And even so, I was feeling super dehydrated. I, I had a headache going into this, and I felt like I was coming down with a cold, and my mouth was super, super dry. I had super cotton mouth. So every water stop, I'd pull over and get two cups of water. Then I'd grab two or three more and catch back up to the pod and hand them out to the other runners in the group. They were handing out gel somewhere, but uh, it was somewhere around the, the half marathon point. But it was kind of funny because they, they hand out the gels, and then there wasn't a water stop for like a quarter mile. 
So the rookies, they'd grab the gel and, you know, eat the gel, and then they'd get them stuck in their throats, and they'd all be yakking up by the side of the road. Uh, it's kind of interesting. In the second half of the race, there's a lot of folks pulled off to the side with leg cramps. And I think it was the wind. I don't know if it's really normal for this race, but I think it was the wind. It stood people up a bit, and it also masked the fact that they were sweating. And I think a lot of the rookies got caught by surprise with some combination of that and cramped up. I had a baggie of Endurolites in my pocket, so I was sharing them around our little pod. And I pulled off again to water some bushes just beyond the Blue Mile section, which is a section where they have a bunch of American flags lying the route for fallen uh, soldiers. And I couldn't find Coach when I jumped back into the course, and people were a bit angry with me because I kept running hard up through the pack looking for him. Then I'd turn around and run backwards for a while, and then I'd I'd wait, you know, I'd run the other way, run backwards on the course looking for people. So basically I was acting like an erratic a-hole. But I managed to find them. But by mile 15, we were down to myself, Coach, Jason, and Christine. And Jason pulled off to use a porta potty Christine pulled off the walk, and she was running. She was running injured. She was trying to run with us, but uh, we were going a little too erratically for her. So she pulled off her walk break, and then it was just me and Coach. And I'd lose him at the water stops because I was so dry. I'd pull into everyone to get two or three cups, and he'd keep going. And then I'd find him again when he zoomed by. So now, now we're back at mile eighteen, nineteen. And he's running like he's lost his mind, pounding out sub-eights, and he's just dialed in. And uh, like his eyes rolled back in his head. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a second here. I didn't sign up for this. We were supposed to be having fun, right? And I'm talking to Coach. I'm saying, hey, dude, we're running sub-eights. Maybe we could settle down a little bit. And he, and he says to me, he's like all focused, and he says to me, he goes, I'll walk the 22-mile water stop. Keep me focused. Let's bring it in. So I'm like, okay. Get behind me, we'll run the tangents, see if we can hold the pace. Because we were still way back in the pack, right? It's shoulder to shoulder with walkers and slow runners, and we're ripping through the pack like one, two minutes a mile faster than everybody else is, is going. Uh, and this section of the course has very wide boulevards and rotaries in it. So I tucked in front and I ran the tangents as, as reasonably as I could. But we were ducking and weaving up through the pack. And every so often I'd look back and I'd see if he was still with me. We kept this going until the long bridge uh, into Crystal City at mile 20, uh, 22, somewhere around there. And what an ugly section of the course that is. There's this long highway bridge with no support, no fans, no nothing. And it's got some climbs in it, too. It's just industrial and bleak. So I don't know, why don't they put some Marines out there or a band or something to keep people from from uh, from losing hope? Because all the runners around me were losing hope. It was like a plague. As soon as one started walking, all the rest would start walking. It was mentally exhausting. And I yelled at a group of these folks. I said, hey, this is a marathon, not a walkathon. Let's go. It was It was brutal. And I lost coach out there somewhere on that stretch into Crystal City. I guess he said later one of his legs went numb from the cancer and he had to uh, had to walk a bit. So through Crystal City, through the turnaround, I started to notice how bad the roads were. They were all like grooved and lumpy and full of holes. And it's still shoulder to shoulder, right, with people stopping and weaving. So you had to watch where you put your foot. 
but you had to keep your head up not to bowl somebody over um, so you didn't roll your ankle. And I had one lady weave into my path, and I, I had to actually catch her to keep from, from bulldozing her into the, uh, into the, into the cement. And I smiled to her and I said, we'll consider that a hug. So, you know, after the race, a lot of the folks, they were complaining. They go, oh, I was so congested. Let's face it. If you choose to run a 30,000 person race from the back, you gotta have a sense of humor, right? And with the wide roads and all the sideways running, most people's garments showed at least a half a mile long on the course. I passed a pace group late in the race, and I asked the guy, I pulled up next to the pacer, and I said, so, how you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm pacing right on. I'm perfectly pacing to the mile marks. But then he said, I think the course is measured wrong because everyone's garment is off by at least a half a mile. So I, I told him how that worked, and uh, I told him the course was right. Just keep going the way it was going. And then I did get a bit tired in the last couple of miles, did some walking. I made it to the end. I was alone, but I was happy, and I got my medal from a Marine. And I got my bag, and I made my way a couple blocks up the hill to meet Eric and Dean. So these guys, these are friends of the podcast, local hash runners, and they had a uh, one of their hash buddies has a condo like one one or two blocks up from the finish overlooking the Iwo Jima monument and it was awesome they gave me a shower a hot shower a hot breakfast and some nice nice ipas and they even helped me rescue my wife from dc traffic so we could get back to reagan for the flight home and all in all it was a good day nobody died i got to run with some friends and support coach and i'm still married and i was home in about 28 hours yeah, up at 7 a.m. the next day for a conference call with Europe. Marathon 46 in the books. Metal hung on the rack. Stick a fork in it. But I was right about the cold. It got worse through the week. And it's just clearing up for me now. Uh, ready for my next adventure. Cheers. So, you know, was that fun? I bet it was. Over the next couple weeks, if I survive the New York City Marathon, I'm going to dial back my training for November. I just have too many balls in the air right now, and it's it's weird. I have to get through a colonoscopy in November. I've also got an appointment with a cardiologist to see if we can figure out what's going on with my heart rate. So I went in to my doctor this week. I, I called them and said, hey, I'm having these weird uh, heart rate readings. And they said, well, come in. We have an appointment in an hour. So I went in and I brought in some of my, uh, my heart rate graphs from some of my workouts from my, from Garmin Connect to show them what I was talking about. It's nice. I had visuals. And so what's going on with me is somewhere, you know, this is a typical thing. I'll be doing like a fart like workout, right? And about 40 minutes into my workout, my heart rate will just flip to max, right? So what it's supposed to do is my zone two is in like the 120 ish range. And my zone three, zone four is going to be in the 130, 140 range, right? So if I'm high zone four, that should be like 142 to 143, 44, right? That's me working really hard. But what it's doing is it'll go straight from zone two and it'll flip right up to like 180, 190, which is, is zone six. It's above my, it's above my max. So there's no reason <laughs> my heart rate should be getting up into the 180, 190 range, unless a, a bear's chasing me during a fartlet workout. 
And I'm talking a zombie bear, maybe an alien zombie bear. So I'm perfectly okay if the answer is you're old, that's what happens. But I want to make sure it's not some new adventure that's going to cause me to not return from a run. Therefore, if I hit the cement hard in the New York City Marathon and, and, and I don't get up, tell my wife I've got three or four interviews on the hard drive that need to be edited and released. And I will, uh, I'll see you out there. This one is called I'm a Gideon Time, you know. Lean around, don't play around. It's a little town too loud. Seems like I got a... Christmas time. It's our beginning of time.